Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Duke Backus. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. Last week we had the opportunity to, to minister from the Word, and, and uh, I was so thankful to be able to uh, get into the Word of God and uh, talk about this message that the Lord laid upon my heart called New Season, Same God. Amen? How many of you know that we go through seasons in life as believers and as, as Christians? That is, you know, we go from glory to glory. Amen? And, and sometimes the seasons that we go through, they're seasons that stretch us. Amen? How many of you have ever been through a season of stretching? Amen? It's uncomfortable. It's, it's challenging. How many of you have ever gone through a season of pain? Amen? Those aren't fun either. You know, maybe you've gone through a season of joy. Amen? Maybe you've gone through a season of, of rejoicing, of renewal. Either way, you know, we find that as the Lord takes us from season to season or glory to glory, we see that the Lord it has purpose behind everything that he does in our life. Amen? The Lord doesn't waste moments in our life. Amen? We waste moments sometimes, and we waste our breath doing stuff that's insignificant. We waste time doing things that mean nothing to God. But you know what? The Lord wastes no time in working with us. You want to know why? Because he's perfecting your life. Amen? He's perfecting you in the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That means that the Lord sees our very being. He sees the way that we are. He sees the nature of our life. And, and there's a lot of times that he sees that, you know, there's things in our life that need to be reworked. There's things in our life that need to be changed. And, and, and guess what? A lot of times circumstance... And the circumstances that we face will lead us into a place where we're vulnerable and we have nothing but to trust in God. Amen? And so we find ourselves as God is leading us and as he leads us from, from different season to different season, sometimes those seasons are, are challenging. But at the end of the day, the Lord knows the purpose for which he is allowing you to go through that season. Amen? He knows the reason why he is allowing you to experience something because at the end of the day, it is for the betterment of your soul. It is for the purpose for which he has created you, amen? It's for the destiny in which he has designed you to walk out and live out. Every single one of us has an assignment upon this earth. Did you know that? I'll say that again. I said every single one of us has an assignment on this earth. That is, you have a purpose, you weren't just, you know, here, you know, and, and you're supposed to just be here for however many years God gives you. And, you know, you work your whole life and you maybe have a family and have kids and then that's it. You go to, to, to eternity. There's so much more that God has designed us to live for. And if we would understand that, we would take very careful and pay careful attention to every single moment and day that God has given us. If you realize your purpose and you realize your destiny, then you won't live wasting your days. Amen. But you will be mindful of the days. You will be mindful of the fact that your time here on earth is just a short stint in comparison to eternity with Jesus. And did you know that because our, our time here is so, it's so quick, it's so fragile, it's so soon, you know, we, we, we can remember every one of us, probably somebody that we know that, you know, went on to be with the Lord. And you think, you know, you say, you know, well, man, you know, they were 20 years old when they went out to be with the Lord. They were 50 years old when they went out to be with the Lord. 60 years old. 60 years is nothing in comparison to eternity. 
So why would we waste our days? In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon talks a lot about seasons. And he says there's a, there's a time and a season for everything. There's a time to live. There's a time to die. Amen? There's a time for rejoicing. There's a time to mourn. There's a time for day. There's a time for night. And he, he brings us into understanding that time is fragile, that time is, you know, our time here on earth is not going to last forever. And we have to be very mindful of that, amen? And so we learned a couple of things last week that I just want to touch on quickly. We learned, we learned three main points from the book of Deuteronomy, and I'll, I'll just touch on them really quickly. But our main verse from last week was found in Deuteronomy 8, verses 1 through 3. And there was three things that we learned there. We learned, number one was this, is that we cannot lose sight of what God has commanded us to do. The first thing that he tells them, he said, be careful to follow every command I am giving you today. When God says be careful, when God says command, when God says follow, when God says, you know, these are the things that I'm telling you to do, we should pay careful attention to that. Amen. We should pay careful attention to that because that is something that the Lord has given us for our life. We read in that scripture that, you know, the reason he was telling them these things, he said, so that you may live, that you may increase, that you may enter and possess the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. You see, you will always live outside of the promises and the, and the truth and, and, and the strength and the power and the peace of God unless you take heed to his word. You see, if you don't take heed to his word, then you can't, you know, expect to increase and be blessed and, and see, you know, the promises of God fulfilled in your life. We must take heed to his word, but most often we do this thing. It's called neglect. How many of you have ever neglected your yard outside? Right now is a bad time to neglect the yard. If you didn't water your yard when you went out of town for three days, you're going to come back and it's going to look like, you know, cornflakes. <laughs> it's going to look like, you know, burnt toast. You know, it's going to be crispy and it's going to be dry and it's going to be crunchy. And the same thing happens when we neglect our soul and our spirit, man. Amen? You say, oh, well, you know, I'll pray tomorrow. I'm a little tired tonight. And that tomorrow turns into the next day and the next day and the next day. And you find yourself not praying. And then what happens? You're just parched in the spirit. You're just wandering aimlessly. You have no purpose because you have not taken heed God's word. Do not neglect what the Lord tells you. Amen. Curses are sustained through disobedience. Blessings are sustained through obedience. But curses are sustained and they will last and they will remain in your life when you disobey what God has said. Deuteronomy 11 and 26, I, we touched on this. He said, see, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. He said, the blessing, if you obey the commands of the Lord, your God that I'm giving you. He said, the curse, if you disobey. How many of you want blessings? Amen. What do we have to do? Obey. It's very simple, amen? The second thing that we learned was that the Lord, the test that, you know, the season presents to your life, it reveals where your heart will find rest. The test in which you are facing right now, the things in which you are going through in your life, the circumstances that you are, you know, faced with on a daily basis, those things will ultimately reveal where your heart trusts and where your heart lies. 
You see, a lot of people won't even make it to church on a Wednesday night because the paycheck is more important, and it actually is revealing where their trust is. Say, oh, but Pastor Duke, that sounds a little far-fetched. You know, I'm sure they trust in God. Well, if they trusted in God, then they would give God an hour and a half of their time so that they could come to church. Amen. Amen. You see, sometimes we think that, you know, we give God all of this, but actually we're shortchanging God of our life and our obedience and our, our being every single day. If there's 24 hours in a day and we pray one, how much time do we spend with God and how much time do we spend doing our own thing? Linda said an amazing statistic when she was talking about pastor on Sunday, but she said, I think that he slept like 21 years of his life and that was crazy to me when I, when I heard that. I was like, oh, I guess it makes sense. You know, we sleep about a third of our life, right? You know, most of us sleep, you know, if you're blessed, you'll sleep eight hours a day. Me, I'm in the four to five hour range. That's normal for me. I went on vacation just these last couple of days and, uh, you know, people were checking up on me, asking me if I, if I rested. I was like, yeah, you know, I slept till 530. <laughs> That's rest for me. But at the end of the day, I understand that, you know, I have an obligation to get rest in the Lord. But what's the point? The point is this, is when we are finding ourselves living our life and just going about our day, going about our life, going about our agenda and leaving God out of it, how can we expect that God to bless and strengthen and fill our life with peace when he is the last thing that we spend time with, when he's the last person that we give our time to, amen? We need to give more time to the Lord, amen? But we see here that the word was teaching us, we, we really will understand where our heart finds rest by what we place our trust in, by what we place our trust in. And the last thing that we had learned last week was this, is that the Lord builds us by breaking us down. Deuteronomy 8 and 3 says, He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna. You know, sometimes we have to go through seasons where the Lord, you know, humbles us. That is, in that place of humility, God is not humbling us, you know, in a way to shame us. But I had said to the church last week, He's not trying to shame us, but rather He's trying to shape us. There's a big difference, amen? Shame is something that causes you to, 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 you know, hide from God, amen? But when we understand his purpose for our life and that the Lord is actually trying to shape us, he's trying to mold us and fashion us so that we can fulfill his will for our life. And guess what? It's all about fulfilling his will and not our own, amen? then guess what? He has to take us through the necessary seasons and steps so that we are perfected to do so, amen? And so it's important for us to see this, that Lord isn't into shaming us, but he wants to shape our life, amen? And so I wanna continue in the word tonight, and I have a few minutes to do so. I want us to read from Job chapter five, verses six through nine. So if you have your Bibles, open them up there. Job chapter five, verses six through nine. And Job uttered these words. He says, for hardship does not spring from the soil, nor does trouble sprout from the ground. He says, yet man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. He said, but if I were you, I would appeal to God and I would lay my cause before him. Verse 9 says, for he performs wonders that cannot be fathomed and miracles that cannot be counted. Let's pray for the word tonight. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful for your presence and your spirit, and I'm thankful for your word tonight. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just speak through me, Lord, your vessel, 
And I pray, God, that every heart, Lord, is open. God, every ear is listening, God, to receive the truth that you have for us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. In reading this passage of Scripture, it reminded me that trial, affliction, hardship, trouble, they're all, you know, sections of Scripture that we would like to leave out. Amen? There's those portions of Scripture in the Bible where you'd say, you know what, I don't want to have to go through what Job went through. I don't want to have to go through what the apostles went through. I don't want to have to be, you know, crucified for my faith in Jesus. You know, can I just get by with some light persecution and, and make it to heaven? But these are the things that we see that, you know, in Scripture there are challenges. And Job, he said it so well. He said, man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. But he leaves us with this lasting advice, and he said this. He said, if I were you, I would lay my cause before him. For he performs wonders, and he performs miracles that cannot be counted. Amen? And I'd like to propose to our hearts tonight, I'd like to just propose to you that afflictions and hardship and trial and trouble are often allowed by God for the deepening of our greater trust in him. They're often allowed by the Lord for our greater trust in him. Many times for many people, they would have never looked for God or sought him out if it wasn't for an impossible hardship or season that they were facing. You see, a lot of people, you know, they'll come to God because they're going through something. Amen? That is, they come to God because there was some impossible thing that was happening in their life, and they used that as, as, as seeking, you know, as a way to seek and say, you know, who is it that could help me with this? Who is it? I need, a, I need a rescuer. I need a hero. I need a savior. I need somebody. You know, we see this all throughout Scripture. There was blind men that were seeking after Jesus so they could see. Amen? There was crippled men that wanted to walk. There was lepers that needed, you know, the healing of their skin. There were sinners, amen? And there was people that, you know, sought after God out of a place of trouble. They sought for God because they could do nothing about their situation. And the greatest trouble that mankind has faced is their sinful status with a holy God. You see, on our own behalf, in our own strength, we can do absolutely nothing to transform our status in heaven on our own. Amen. You and I can do nothing about our sin, about, about you know, our unrighteousness, about our self-righteousness. We can do nothing about our own pride. We can, we, that, that is something that's uncontrollable you know, within our hands and within our means. We have to trust in Christ. We have to trust in the one who, was, who paid the price as a ransom for our sins so that we could be redeemed and forgiven by God. We have to place our trust in him. God is fine, though, with feeding the multitudes fish and bread so that they'll witness his goodness. Amen? God is fine with that so that ultimately his loving kindness would lead them to repentance. You see, the Lord is fine with meeting a physical or material need for a man or a woman so that they could see their spiritual need for repentance and forgiveness. God is okay with that. We see that Jesus performed miracle after miracle. You know, there was things that, you know, some were physical needs, you know, like blindness and, and leprosy, and others were just simply putting some fish in somebody's belly. Fish is good, amen? How many of you like fish? All right, yeah, we're getting hungry tonight. 
You see, and guess what? At the end of the day, there was, there was something that was to be accomplished by both was that those people that had received from the goodness of God, they would look up to heaven and recognize that there was one who gave their life for them. There was one who made a way. There was one who had longed to have relationship and connection with them forever. I love Matthew chapter 5, and it talks about, I believe it's Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, I didn't give it to the guys, but... You know the verse. I believe it says this. It says, let your light shine before all men that they may see your good deeds and that they may praise your Father in heaven. You see, there's something about, you know, when we are living as Christians and living as the light of the world and living and allowing the Lord to work and move through our life, that it, what does it do? It's pointing to people to God. People are seeing God through your life, amen? In the same way that Jesus was going about and he was healing and he was touching and he was feeding and he was blessing, people saw God through his life, amen? And so the Lord is fine with meeting any kind of need as long as it turns the focus of people towards God. But ultimately, the Lord doesn't want you to just look for a hero to rescue you or a helper to help you. He wants you to know a savior that will save you. Amen? You see, it's from that place where it's like, you know what, we can, we can turn to Jesus and we can say, Lord, I, I, I come to you, Lord, and, and, I, and I desire, Lord, that you would, you know, do this. You know, I desire, God, that you would meet this need. You know, that's fine, but ultimately, that's not having a relationship with Jesus. That is just a, a, a way that the Lord inches us closer to him. For my own personal life, you know, I went through three kind of major events that really helped lead me to him, that caused me to seek him. One was a divorce, another was a death, and another was a near death. And I went through all these things in a matter of a year and a half, and, and then another one was, you know, relocating. And all these things that I went through in my life, you know, it caused me to say, my world around me as I know it is crumbling, and, and I, I can do nothing about it. Couldn't get my parents back together. I couldn't, I didn't have a choice to move from Idaho to Texas. I didn't have a choice, you know, uh, over my grandpa, you know, stepping into eternity. Those were all uncontrollable things in my life. When my stepbrother was almost killed, I, I, I was helpless. I had nothing to do to control the matter and the situation at hand. But guess who did? God. And I'll never forget this one night. It was on a Wednesday night in 1997 of November. It was, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was during Thanksgiving time. I came to church on a Wednesday night, and I thank God every day for the pastor that had asked me, and he said this, he said, does anybody need prayer? Do you know, church, that that simple statement is an invitation it's going from the natural to engaging with the supernatural, amen? That invitation of saying, can I pray for you? Is there something that you have a need for? It is, it, it is that very connecting, you know, thing that connects us with the righteous and holy and living God. And he said, does anybody need prayer? And I was like, you know what? I've heard about prayer, but I didn't really know who they were praying to, and I didn't really know what prayer was about. But I said, listen, if, if, if you guys are connecting to, to somebody that can do something about my dying brother in the hospital, then that's who I want to talk to. 
So I gave him the petition. I said, my brother is dying in a hospital. He's, he was ejected from a vehicle. He threw 30 yards. That's from like that wall to like right here. He threw 30 yards uh, and landed on an icy road, cracked his head open, and he shouldn't have lived. He was in a coma for three and a half weeks. They prayed on a Wednesday night, and I'll never forget this. I went to Idaho a few weeks later for Christmas vacation. I get up there, and the first time I see my brother, he's still, he, he had actually already gotten out of the coma. So by the time I get to Idaho, he's awake. He doesn't remember anything. He doesn't recognize me. He couldn't even, you know, he, he didn't know who I was. He was looking at me with this blank stare in his eyes, and I'll never forget it. It was like my own brother didn't know me. But within those three weeks that I was there on vacation, I got to witness the power of God resurrect my brother and take him out of that hospital room, give him his memory back, and watch him walk out. And that left such a mark in my heart, church. It left such a mark in my life where I said, there has to be someone. There has to be somebody that's real. There has to be one who is known by man that when they pray and they call upon him, something shifts and he has the ability to perform the impossible when they pray. And it would be just a couple months later that I would finally give my heart to Jesus, to the one who is now the savior and the lover of my soul. Job gave us this advice. He said, in this world, you're going to have all this kind of suffering. You're going to have all this trouble. Surely you'll have trouble just like sparks fly upward. He said, but bring your case before God. If I was you, I would appeal to God. I would bring the very thing that I'm going through, the very hardship, the very trial, the very affliction, the trouble. I would bring it all before God, and I would take it to him, and I would pray. Jesus said in John 16 and 33, you know this verse. He said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. He said, in this world you will have trouble. He said, but take heart for I have overcome the world. Now Jesus in this passage of scripture, he was not just referring to mild trouble like a flat tire or a lack of money. But Jesus was actually speaking of being persecuted for his name's sake. Just before this, they were talking about, you know, having to scatter and, you know, they were having to be alone in their homes and, and you know, they were going to be before kings and princes and, and, you know, Sanhedrin and all different people that were going to challenge their faith. And Jesus is saying, he's like, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Don't worry. Take heart. He says, I have overcome the world. And guess what, church? If you belong to him, then you will overcome the world too. Amen. You will overcome the world through the blood of Jesus, amen? But most often the troubles that Paul mentioned, they were also directly related to persecution. You hear Paul say things, you know, like, you know, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us, you know, a glory that will far outweigh this all. And when you hear Paul talk about that, you know that Paul's like in prison and in chains writing that stuff? And Paul's saying, my light and momentary troubles. Paul's like, you know, making it seem like, eh, this is nothing. This is nothing. He's saying, he, he, he went on to say, I believe it's in, is it Galatians 2.20? This is for I have been crucified with Christ, right? I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. 
When Paul was able to say those words, church, he's literally saying that every single day, it doesn't matter if I'm, if I'm taken to the cross and I'm crucified and I die all over again. As long as the Christ lives in me. As long as the one who gave his life for me lives in my heart, he is the one that is sure to rescue me and take me to be with him for eternity. Paul was imprisoned. He was, you know, faced accusations, backlash, all kinds of things for standing for the gospel. And even you and I, we face afflictions from the enemy. A lot of times the enemy is putting seeds of doubt, depression. He's putting deceit. He's putting delusion. He's putting, you know, causing disagreements with others, disengaging us from the body of Christ, sickness and disease and all kinds of things. But here's the deal. Despite where the trouble comes from, the answer is always what Job advised. So I want you to write this down and just save this, you know, and just write this down. In times of trouble, trust God through prayer. It's very simple, amen? In times of trouble, trust God through prayer. Job said if you and I would appeal to God, we would lay our cause before him. What was Job suggesting? He was suggesting that we pray, amen? He was suggesting, he was saying, listen, all the stuff, it doesn't matter what it is, just pray. Charles Spurgeon said this, anything is a blessing which makes us pray, Amen? You might say, well, Pastor Duke, that, that's crazy. That's, that's hard. No, no, no. It's actually a blessing. Because the things that we go through in this life are designed to shape us so that we can become more and more like Jesus. The things that you face every single day are designed to perfect you in the image of God. Amen. They're designed to perfect you so that one day you will be received by him as a pure and spotless bride. Amen. You'll look just like Jesus when you get there. You'll have gone through the, 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 the trial. You'll have gone through the persecution. You'll have gone through the suffering. And then he'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. James 5 and 13, I love this verse, but it says this. Is anyone among you in trouble? It says, let them pray. It said, is anyone happy? Then let them sing songs of praise. But notice how there's a direct connection between trouble and prayer. If you're in trouble, what do you do? Pray. If you're in trouble, what should you do? You should pray. Psalms 86 verse 6 says this. Hear my prayer, Lord, and listen to my cry for mercy. He said, when I am in distress, I call to you because you answer me. I call to you, Lord, because you answer me. So why is it that so many times when trouble strikes our life, church, why is it that so many times when you're going through something and you are faced with something that, you know, it seems that, you know, prayer and running to our Father are our last resort instead of our first response? Some of you go through things in life and you just grit your teeth and you just take it. You're just like the disciples that were on that boat. You know, you're scared. You're getting tossed back and forth by the wind and the waves. And you're crying and, you know, you're, you're, you're fearful in your heart. And, you know, you're just taking it. But you're not calling out to the one who is able to save you. Think about that, church. We're not calling out from our heart and our life to say, there is one who is able to deliver me from this. But instead, we're just going along. 
We're in the boat. We're getting tossed back and forth. We're sinking. We're drowning. The water's coming over our heads, and we don't know what to do. We must pray, church. We must pray, amen? Because sometimes we pray, and it seems, though, that when God doesn't answer us according to our timing, then we stop praying. Can I tell you that perseverance in prayer is probably the most necessary and needed thing in the church today? Because we're so used to praying once, and nothing happens, and then that's it. We're just like, oh. And you give up. You stop praying. You stop bowing before God. You stop taking time to kneel in his presence. You stop bringing that case before him day and night. You just say, oh, well, he, I guess, you know, that it, that's just what it is. That's just what God wants it to be. It's just going to happen this way. Think about this, church. If you were in a desert, thirsty and needing water, and you saw a well, would you not lower a bucket to bring up the water? Of course you would. If you were thirsty and you were dying and you, you, know, you, you needed that water so bad, would you not lower the bucket to pick up some water? So instead of lowering your buckets, then we need to bend our knees. We need to bend our knees in prayer and humble ourselves and call out to the one who is able to deliver us. Amen. One of the main ways that God works all things for our good is through prayer because trouble builds trust. The very thing that you're facing is allowing you to find a place of either greater trust in God or you'll disconnect further from God. See, the enemy wants to work it one way, but God wants to work it another way in your life so that you'll ultimately trust him more. Amen? The enemy would love more than anything than you to be more separate from God and for that issue, that circumstance, to push you further and further from God. But trust in, in that place, it will cause you to go deeper in the word. It will cause you to go nearer to the Father's heart, to hear his voice. And without us knowing, we will grow in trust. I've come out of seasons in my life where I've, I've noticed, you know, growth. Or I've even had people tell me, they're like, well, you know, God's doing something in your life. And I'm, I'm grateful when I hear things like that because I don't think we notice ourselves, you know, grow. We always feel the same you know, we're, we're probably our own worst critic in that, in that sense. But I'm thankful because there's times where I've seen the Lord bring me out of something. And all of a sudden, there's just this, like, refined trust in him in a specific area or a specific way. That maybe for whatever reason I had lacked or I, I, I didn't pay attention to or I just glossed over. And the Lord wants us, church, to learn from these experiences and, and as we're going through these things to, to gain more and more trust in him. Amen? Edward uh, Bound said this. He said, four things let us ever keep in mind. That Number one, write this down. God hears prayer. Make note of this. Four things let us keep in mind. God hears prayer. God heeds prayer. Three, God answers prayer. And four, God delivers by prayer. Amen? God hears, God heeds, God answers, and God delivers by prayer. It was once said that Jesus never taught us how to deal with unanswered prayer because he ne never thought of prayers going unanswered. He 
You don't read a lot of unanswered prayer, you know, parables in the Bible, do you? No, because when they prayed, things happened. Amen? When they prayed and they brought the issue before God, something happened. Amen? And sometimes we get weary in, in this uh, next verse that I'm about to read. In Matthew 7 and 7 says this. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. You see, nowhere in these verses do we find a maybe. Ask and you might receive. Seeking, maybe you'll find, right? Nowhere in these verses do we see a partial answer. That is that God would just give you some little fraction of the answer. Asking you shall receive something? Asking you might receive a little bit of something from God? No, that's not what the scripture is saying. Nowhere do we see even a confusing answer from God. It's very clear and concise and specific. Matthew 18 verse 19 says this. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Do you see any maybes or suggestive wording in here? No. He said, if you ask for it, it will be done for you by the Father in heaven. John 14 and 13, let's keep going. He said, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that my Father may be glorified in the Son. And it says, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. This is, again, not suggestive. It's not, you know, optional. It's not maybe. First John 5 and 14 says this. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of him. You see, God always desires daily fellowship, amen, and communion. But if the Lord has to allow your boat to be rocked in a storm so that you'll shout out his name, so be it. That means if the Lord has to allow a little bit of trouble in your life for you to finally open your mouth and call upon him and say, Lord, save me from my distress, so be it. When Jesus was crucified and he was hanging upon the cross, he still prayed. He prayed things like, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he was in connection to the Lord. He even said, if this cup could pass from me, he said, but yet not my will, your will be done. What was he doing? He was in the most distressed moment of his life. And he called upon the Father. And let that be a word of us for us today. That when you're going through something, don't let it push you from the Father. Don't let it silence your prayer life. You see that as an invitation from God to engage with the one who is able to do all things according to his riches and glory. Psalms 40 and verse 5 says this. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders that you have done. The things that you have planned for us, no one can compare to you. He said, were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. Job said to lay your cause before him, for he's the one who performs wonders. He is the one who performs countless miracles. John 21 and verse 25 says this. 
Jesus did so many other things as well. He said, and if every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have enough room for the books that would be written. Isn't that incredible? John the Beloved writes this down, and he's talking about the things that Jesus has done, the things that he's, he's done, you know, in, in, that, in his time. And he said, if every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. How incredible is this God that we serve, church? How incredible is this one that we know? How incredible is this one that we believe in, that we placed our trust in? But my question to us all tonight is this, is why wait to pray when we have a way maker? Why do we wait so long when we have one who is able to do it? Why do we wait, church? Why do we hold back? When you look at the track record of God, he's certainly able, isn't he? Amen? When you look at the track record of God, he's certainly more than qualified. He's certainly stronger. His name is the most powerful name. And his glory is the amazing wonder of the world. He is able, church, in all things he is able. All things are possible with God. All things, amen? And yet this God, our God and our Savior, sometimes we lean on him the last. Sometimes we lean on him the last. We wonder and we worry instead of praying and fasting. Francis Chan said this, worry implies that we don't quite trust God is big enough. It implies that, you know, we just, uh, I don't know if God is able. You struggle with your finances and this is the God that owns everything. You struggle having peace in your life and this is the God that speaks to storms and commands them to be still. You struggle with some kind of sickness or disease doctors report in your life and this is the God who every town he went into, people were getting healed left and right. Why do we wait, church? Why do we wait to pray? He is the great I am, amen? He is the alpha and the omega, amen? He's the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the king of kings. He is the Lord of all lords, amen. He's worthy to be praised and adored. He's worthy to be trusted and counted on. He's worthy, church. Charles Spurgeon said this, young men trust God and they make the future bright with blessing. He said, but old men, they trust God and they magnify him for the mercies of the past. Either way, prayer leads to the glory of God. Either way, whether it's present or it's past or it's to come, when we pray and we engage with this God who is more than able, it ultimately will bring his name glory, amen? It will ultimately bring him fame. It will ultimately bring him honor. It will ultimately bring a, 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 a praise report to his name, amen? And this is why to pray but I must remind you that before we pray tonight, and we will pray, anytime we engage in prayer with God, the enemy works hard to discourage you. Anytime that you pray, make no mistake, the enemy's gonna try to distract you. Amen? How many of you, you're like, oh, yes, Lord, I'm gonna, I'm making time for you today. I heard Pastor Duke message, and I'm gonna go home, and I'm gonna pray for like 30 minutes, and then all of a sudden you get a text message as soon as you go like this. Bing. Well, hold on, Lord. Hold on. Let me see. What was that? 
Okay, okay. Yeah, anyways, anyways, yeah. Oh, wait, Facebook? And the enemy is going to distract you. He's going to do everything that he can to stop you from engaging with the Lord in prayer. And anytime we engage in prayer, the enemy works hard to block your prayers, to deceive you, to get you to grow weary or to accept that some disease or torment or lie or otherwise is God's will. Say, wait, what did you just say? He works hard to block your prayers, listen to me carefully, to deceive you into growing weary and tired or accepting that some disease or torment or lie or otherwise is the will of God. And it should not be expected that anyone and everyone will learn the ways of God by nature or get prayers answered without opposition from Satan. You'll always be opposed by him. That is, it should not be expected that there will be no conflict with carnal desires, unbelief, and doubts in the process of getting prayers answered from God. Paul, in scripture, he mentioned many times, he speaks of being hindered by Satan in his spiritual work. I'll read these verses to you. 1 Thessalonians 2 and 18. He said, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly, he said, I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. You see, there was something the enemy put in his path as an opposition that hindered him from getting to where he wanted to go. Peter speaks of prayers being hindered even by wrong living on part of those who pray. Let's read about that. 1 Peter 3 and verse 7, he said this, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Did you know, husbands, and I know there's some of us in here tonight, did you know that your, your attitude and your behavior and the way that you treat your wife, the love and the respect that you show her, it will either allow your prayers to be answered or it will hinder your prayer life. So you think you could be a bad husband at home or, you know, a bad husband, you know, in public or treat your wife a certain way. Guess what? It will put a hindrance on your prayer life. And I guarantee that none of us want that. Amen? None of us want that. And all the husbands said, amen. So if this be true, then it is much more true that Satan and supernatural evil spirits can actually do and hinder prayer. Now, I got a bunch of verses, but I'll, I'll just give them to you briefly. Ephesians 4.27 says, do not give the devil a foothold. Ephesians 6 talks about standing against the attacks of the enemy. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says that we should be aware of his schemes and his devices. James 4 talks about resisting the devil, amen? And all these facts, they prove that people who pray to God are, exact op are to expect rather opposition and all kinds of hindrance to their prayers. So this is actually showing us something. So that when you're hindered and when, when you see opposition come against your life in prayer, then you can identify what it is, but you will keep praying. Amen. It's important for us to be, you know, equipped and understand that when you pray, it's not just going to happen. The enemy's going to do everything he can to try to rob that seed. You know, it talks about in Matthew 13 how the seed of the word, it falls, but it says the deceitfulness of wealth and the cares of this life, they choke out the seed. And in the same way, I could say that prayer is choked out with the same kind of effect and the same kind of tactics from the enemy. Amen? 
And so how foolish is it for them to accept, accept such opposition as the will of God and as an indication that God will not grant what is asked them according to his promises. You see, we must understand something, church. The Lord is more than able. Amen? He is more than able. But we can't stop the first time that we're opposed. We can't stop praying the first time that, you know, it seems that God didn't answer right there in, in, in a second. So I'll give you these things quickly to write down. These are steps to follow when faith seems weak and victory seems lost. So write this down. Number one, recognize the source of the opposition as being Satan. Satan is who is resisting you. Satan is trying to resist you from stepping into the will of God for your life and receiving what God has for you. Number two, be sure that the promises of God cover what is asked for. I'll say that one more time. Be sure that the promises of God cover what is asked for. That means that you ask God according to his will. Amen? You don't just pray, you know, Lord, let me win the lottery so I can, you know, just do, you know, go off to Hawaii. Like, that's not a prayer that, it, that is, 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 you know, backed by the promises of God. Amen? But the promises of God, when we know them and we understand them, those things are how we are, ought to pray. Amen? Number three, be sure that you're not living in open or secret sin. I'll say this one more time. This is one of the biggest hindrances to your prayer life. Be sure that you are not living in open or secret sin. What does that mean? That means that sin in your heart and in your life is the biggest way that you will have unanswered prayer. That could be just the unforgiveness of a person that you know. Somebody that wronged you. You have to forgive them, amen? The Bible says, Jesus said it in Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer, amen? Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who've sinned against us. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. Number four, be sure that no doubt or unbelief is permitted in the life or in your life concerning the promises of God. So in other words, what does that mean? That means that make sure that you are not like, you know, praying and then going like, yeah, so I hope God does it. What did you just do? You just suggested that you hope that God does something. Where did your faith go, right? So we see here that we need to erase all doubt and all unbelief, amen? Number five, we need to desire the benefit that you ask of God and sincerely. Now, Hebrews 11 and 1 kind of gives us better insight into this. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for, right? That's what the substance of faith is. It's confidence in what we hope for and it's assurance about what we do not see, right? So that is to sincerely like desire those things that you are asking God for. Like you're believing that it's done even though you can't see it, amen? You're believing that you've attained it even though you don't possess it in your life at that second. Number six, ask God in faith. You ask the Lord always in faith, nothing wavering, believing that what is asked is yours. Amen? Again, we ask and we approach the Lord in faith. Number seven, that we don't tolerate for a single moment a thought to the contrary. What does that mean? That means that when the enemy puts something in your mind that says, well, you know what? Maybe God did give them that disease because they're, they're sinners and they're being punished by God. Listen, that's not what the word of God teaches us. 
If Jesus said by his stripes you would be healed, then that would go completely contrary to what the word is teaching. So here we understand that we have to take those thoughts captive. What does that mean? That means that with the mind of Christ, you are able to take every thought captive and make it submissive to what the word of God says. How many of you have ever had like, you know, just this ugly little evil thought just pop in your mind just really quickly? You know, sometimes that happens, right? Like, you know, you could be driving down the road and all of a sudden it's like you just have this ugly thought that, you know, you just got in an accident or something and you rebuke that thought. Amen? You know, I've had those thoughts where, you know, you, you, it's like you see a family member get hurt. You know, it's like a, a little vision that you see or something. And, and that little thought, it's just the enemy just trying to plant a little seed. He's just trying to flip something your way so that it can, in hopes that it might stick and it might, you know, cause you to worry. It might cause you to be flustered in your heart. Those things, church, you must contend with and you must take them captive, amen, in Jesus' name. Number eight, count the thing done that you have asked for. What does that mean? That means that you expect it. You expect it to be done. You say, Pastor Duke, that sounds like, you know, you're bossing God around. No, you expect it. The Lord is pleased by faith and faith alone. Amen? So if I'm praying and I'm suggesting and I'm hoping that God does something rather than expecting it, which is faith? Faith is expecting that it will be done. Amen? Number nine, give glory to God even before you've received what you ask. Amen? Give glory to God even before you've received what you ask. Why is that important? It's important because you're showing the Lord true gratitude and thankfulness and you're glorifying him as if though it was already in your possession, as if it was already done. You thank him from that place and you say, Lord, I believe it's done in Jesus' name. It's done and you honor him and you thank him. And number 10, act as if you've received what you have asked for. What does that mean? That means that you, you live like it's already done. You live like it's already done. Remember that the moment that you doubt or wonder why God has not answered or look for some reason why he didn't hear your prayer or begin to accept the delay in the answer as the will of God for you, you know, not to have what you've asked for, then you're defeated because you fail to hold firm in unwavering faith in God for the answer. And so never under any circumstance question the will of God in the matter of unanswered prayer. I think that's really important. For some of you, maybe the Lord's given a word or a promise. You know, he's, he's, he's spoken something over your life that is very specific. And in order to see that, church, we can't waver. We can't doubt. We can't, you know, be like, you know what, I don't know if that's even true concerning my life. Abraham and Sarah, they carried a promise for 40 years, church. That's a long time. A long time they carried this promise and they, they, they knew that it was God's will, it was God's plan for their life and they made mistakes along the way but, but ultimately they saw the provision of God. They saw God come through, amen? So it, don't ever question the will of God in the matter of, un, of answered prayer. If he's promised that you, know, you can have whatsoever you ask if you do not doubt, then do not think for a moment you know, that it, it may be God's will you know, for you to hold firm or hold fast to what he's promised. It is the will of God, amen? So be confident in that. I don't know what you need tonight, but I know who you need. Amen. And Christ is our answer. 
Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give.